You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley titled The Shepherd from the series Hearing from God. For more info, visit creekside.org. If you would turn to Psalm 23. Um, I thought I was going to finish our series today on this, but I think I'm going to extend it one more week. And if you'll see on your outline, could you turn me down just a little, Daniel? I got just a a little bit of ring. My old ears are getting more sensitive. Um, I I was just going to do a week and kind of do a flyby on this because I just thought that this is a, a great way just to position ourselves to hear the voice of the Lord. And then I realized, man, I've never really done any teaching uh, on this passage. And, and I thought, you know, I don't even really know all of the things that it talks about in Psalm 23, which is a most beloved psalm, and most people in the world know about it. If you say, the Lord is my... They know it. I mean, you could go just about anywhere. And uh, people are, are, are aware of it, but I've never really done much with it. So I'm going to do that t- this week and next week. So as you look on your outline... And you go, oh my goodness, he's only on, on point two, and there's three or four more to go. I don't want you to panic, so I'm going to finish it next week, because uh, as I got into it, I really want to do some introduction with it, because if you don't, inter- if you don't understand the context and the background, uh, you really will miss the nuance and the purpose of how we can bridge to present day 2016 of what God's trying to uh, tell us here. Now, when David, David wrote this psalm, when David was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this, uh, it made great sense to his Hebrew peers. Now, as we see it from their understanding, as they saw it from their understanding, they had this greater grasp and meaning of who God was. But for us today, it's kind of like, well, I don't know how many people in here have ever done any shepherding. So it's kind of like, oh, yeah, that's sweet. It's poetic. It's beautiful but I don't know that I get it. Now, this first stanza here, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I will lack. That word there, Yahweh, it's, um, it, it's the idea that the word comes from Yahweh or Jehovah, the word Lord. And what it really means is, if we translate it, it's I am that I am. It's this comprehensive understanding of who God is. And so when we say Lord, we are declaring what only God can truly say about himself. You are Lord. I am. He is Yahweh. And when we say that, he says, I am that I am. I mean, you go, what does that mean? Well, what he's really saying is, I am before all else. I I am self-existent. I am self-sufficient. I am outside of the space-time continuum. I am eternal. I am the one who always has been and the one who always will be. And then through the inspiration of the Spirit in such wonder, in a voice that calls out to every one of our deepest needs and meanings, he whispers, I am your shepherd. And we go, oh yeah, that's so sweet, that's wonderful. Because this psalm goes on to express this metaphor of sheep and shepherd that echoes literally through the pages of biblical history and into revelation for our lives today. Now this metaphor casts us as sheep. Psalm 100 says that we are the sheep of his pasture. But again, most of us know little about sheep. 
And when the Hebrews heard this 3,000 plus years ago for the first time, these words would have connected not only with their mind, but in the deep recesses of their heart. And, and there would have been this experience and this new revelation and understanding of who God is. Isaiah 40, verse 11, uh, the, the prophet communicates, God takes care of his people like a shepherd. So this becomes a theme throughout all of biblical history. Now, what it showed the Hebrew people at that time was the, the intimacy and the care that God has for his people. And then it's fully realized and revealed for us in Jesus Christ, who came and said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And we still go, wow, that's sweet. A little bit of poetic is probably taken from Psalm 23. That's great. But we still don't really understand it, do we? And then part of that next revelation to us today came straight from the, the mouth of Jesus, the good shepherd, when he said in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So Jesus continues this metaphor uh, through the New Testament. Why is it so important? Well, it's a great question, especially when we think in terms of us being sheep. Sheep are not powerful or strong. They're defenseless. They can't fight. They have no sharp teeth, and they have no claws. If they're attacked, they can't get away. They, have slow, they are slow, and then they have these really skinny legs and this fat body. They're very dirty and smelly. They don't clean themselves like many other animals. I mean, the, the dirt just kind of accumulates. They're worrisome. They're worrisome. They're fearful about everything. They're very skittish animals. They easily wander off and go astray. Now, if you're like me, when I was reading all this and thinking about all this, I go, whoa, I'm just a bit offended that I'm being called a sheep. I mean, I mean that, that just doesn't seem right. I thought I had a little more smarts than that. But then we see, but, but notice in this metaphor what God is cast as, as a shepherd. They have to understand the historical context of being a shepherd. And in this metaphor, the shepherd was the lowliest job on the Hebrew social scale. It's kind of like, you know, what's the worst job in your house to do? Uh, I thought of two. Did you say clean the toilets? Okay, yeah. Okay, good, yeah. Now, that, that was the first one I thought of, and then taking out the garbage. So here it is. If, if you know, who always gets to do that? Well, at least the garbage, you get the kids. You know, the youngest kid learned to take out the garbage, and usually mom does the other, but sometimes as kids, we got to do that as well. And see, it's really reflective because David would have understand that as well. Because if you remember the story of David, when Samuel came to anoint the next king of Israel, what did he do? He went into the house, and he talks to his dad, and they have these, these sons that he marches before him and says, oh, yeah, this would be a good king, this would be a good king, this would be a good king. But Samuel goes, these aren't the ones. And what does the dad say? Oh, yeah, yeah, we, we got another one. That's, it's, it's the run of the family. It's David. You know what? He's just out, you know, shepherding the sheep. So this was not a high-class position. It would have been very low in their society. But one of the obvious points that God wants to make here is not that he's lowering himself, but he's really showing us how everybody needs a shepherd. Why? Well, because a shepherd provides food, shelter, the basic necessities. He cleans them. The shepherd protects. He defends them against enemies and harm. A shepherd guides. Confused sheep cannot find their way anywhere. 
a shepherd corrects problems that come along uh, around them in their lives. He would take care of them. And there's this amazing thing that God has promised to do these four things in every one of our lives as we trust him as the good shepherd. Hear me, loved ones. This passage reeks with relationship. And if we just simply read this as wonderful biblical Hebrew poetry, we miss what God wants to communicate for our lives today and through the future. See, the Lord is my shepherd may have been the most intimate and personal term given to God's people in the Old Testament. For the first time, they could really begin to understand the love and the care and the concern and the oversight of God because so often for so long, I mean, they wouldn't even write his name out of such grand respect, and it's like God was so far out there. And so David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, I want to bring you face to face with this relational God. They understood the personal relationship that a good shepherd had with the sheep because the sheep, he would stay with them day and night. Man, it was a 24-7, 366 uh, thing that he had to do. He, he'd literally sleep in the doorway of the sheep pen so that no predators could get to the sheep, which means he was what? Laying down his life for the help and heart of the sheep. Sheep had to depend on the shepherd for just everything they could ever want or need. And it's interesting because the shepherds, as they would shepherd the sheep, he would literally know them by name. And I can imagine some of the names. Hey, bent ear, brown foot, whatever it is, but they would come and he shepherded them. They knew his voice and he knew their names. But although this was kind of a lowly job, it was also very vital because, uh, because uh, while sheep were vulnerable, they were also very valuable in the context of their culture. They were a source of income. They were a source of food. They would, they would raise them and they would sell them to other Hebrew families for, the, uh, for a food source. So for them, it was literally kind of like a bank account. And when we see this against the backdrop of Jesus Christ, God's transcendence, we really are as fragile as sheep. Compared to God's divine wisdom, we are clueless sheep. When you see our decisions and the judgments that so many people make for a living, we're as prone to wander as sheep. And we're as vulnerable to nibbling away at sin in our life, and pretty soon we get off track and we lose our course and we lose our focus on Jesus Christ. And that's what sheep did. They could easily just nibble their way off a cliff, away from the living shepherd. And this psalm underscores God's care and love for us so that he can build our confidence so that we learn and grow in following his voice to experience his blessing. And how does he do that? Well, we're going to look at that for the next two weeks because the first thing he does is he provides, the shepherd provides rest for the sheep. You'll see here, let's read the 23rd Psalm. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. There's nothing that I lack. I love that. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life and he leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. We see guidance there. I mean, just those first words, green pastures, quiet waters. Doesn't it just make you want to go grab a book or something and just go sit and relax? And verse 4, even when I go through the darkest valley, 
I fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Only goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. In the context of this, those are the two sheepdogs that God sends after every one of our lives. Don't you love that? Goodness and mercy. They will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord for as long as I live. First thing we see here in verse 1 is he provides rest. It says you don't have to worry about rest or lack because of the shepherds. See, sheep are not beasts of burdens. They can't carry anything. Again, fat, skinny legs. So they're really limited. You know what sheep do? They sleep, they wander, and they eat. So anything that they could carry or have, the shepherd carries all the goods, all of the food, all, takes up all of the places. Some scholars believe that this could have been written when David was on the run from his rebellious son, Absalom, when Absalom got a group of people together and rebelled against David when he was the king and he wanted to usurp the kingship. And it's almost as if David is saying, I know there's a lot going on here. Absalom's doing this. I can't carry all of this. And he's on his way outside of Jerusalem on the run as, he's being, as his throne is literally being usurped. And it's almost as if he could be saying, Man, I can't carry this. I need God. And here's the deal. Sometimes we forget that God not only carries our stuff when we allow him to, but more importantly, there are times when he carries us. And I wonder if David isn't saying, this is one of those times. And that's what he does. But he gives us work. Did you know that work is one of the things in the Bible that is God-ordained, even before the fall? Sometimes people think that we have to work because it's part of the curse of the fall, but it's not. God said, I want you to tend. I want you to take care of the garden. I want you to do all these things, not only for the benefit of creation, but for your own personal benefit. But how many of us have a tendency to overwork? See, I don't believe for a minute that God ever called us to overwork. I believe he gives everybody 24 hours, and we should be able to accomplish in the time of our life what God wants us to accomplish. It's the overwork and nonstop that can cause us problems where God says, I want you to rest. So Psalm 127 verse 2 says this, it is senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late night because God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. Man, doesn't that just make you want to go take a nap? Thank you, Lord. I just, you know, I'm going to sleep in tomorrow. I'm going to do something. Because if you're burning the candles at both ends, you're really not as bright as you think you are. And sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is take a time out. Go get some rest. See, many people think, um, and, and this is why even volunteer, we, we, we put such a premium on one of our, our axioms here for ministry to have people involved because we believe that, that God gives us all gifts. And they're very different and diverse for all of us that work out of our personality and our passions. But we are really committed to the belief that God, he, he wants us all involved so that we can have maximum effectiveness with minimum weariness. But many people think, oh man, if I give my life to God, if I really sell out to Jesus Christ, he's going to give me too much to do and I'll have more to do than I already have. 
But Psalm 23 says he makes me to lie down by green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. Does that sound like a slave driving God? No. If you were a sheep, you'd probably understand this better because he's referring in these first two verses to rest and refreshment and taking care of. See, God is interested in your rest and your recreation. He wants every one of us to live a whole and complete, balanced life. His plan for you is not working all the time. If you really give your life to Jesus Christ, this is what I believe he will do. He will give you more to do. But he'll also prune, call you to prune some things away. I had a, my third car when I was just getting out of high school, or just finishing up high school, I owned this 65 Ford Galaxy. My dad owed me $150, and so he went out and got this car, and he gave it to me. It was actually a really a great car, except one problem. The gas gauge didn't work on the dashboard. So I always had to keep my focus on getting gas. I mean, those were the days in my life. You know, back in, this would have been about 74, about 75, 76. Guess what? I didn't have a lot of money. So it was $5 here, $2 there. And in two years, get this, I only ran out of gas once, which was pretty good for a, a teenage kid. It's amazing how that not having that that gauge on the dashboard kept me really focused. But here's the bigger issue, uh, the, to, to, the, the bigger problem, the big issue for people. It's when we have all of the lights on our dashboard and we choose to ignore the ones that do work. You know those things? I mean, uh, how many times has somebody asked you, hey, what's that light on my dashboard mean? Maintenance required? Uh, yeah, you better get that check. When did that go on? Oh, man, uh, two years ago, you know? And uh, so we're just kind of making it. And our lives are like that. We have these dashboards for our body, for our soul, and our spirit. And sometimes we don't recognize that. Next week, I want to talk a little bit about this really important part of our body that gets neglected called our soul. See, the reason most people overwork, the reason they really don't pay attention to the dashboard of their life and heart and soul and physical being is we, we overwork because we confuse our work with our worth. Have you ever noticed that? We think that if we work a whole lot, achieve a lot, guess what? We are worth a lot. We confuse what we do with who we are. I mean, in America, what do we do? And I quit asking this question. I don't ask this question anymore unless somebody asks me first. What's the first question? You meet somebody, especially men. What do you, what do, you do? What do you do? Because we really project our self-worth with what we do. Bible says that our worth, loved ones, isn't our work, but it's based on God's value that he has placed on us. And what is the value that he's placed on it? He has placed so much value that when he created it, he says, you are literally created in the image of my son, Jesus Christ. And it's so important that I'm going to spend the rest of your life conforming you, Romans 8, into his image. I want to be careful how I communicate this because a lot of people say that God is kind of this guy up there that, you know, he's, going to, he's after you. Now, he's after you, but in a good sense. But many people out in the world, and even some Christ followers, they say that they really give us this idea that God's after us. Like, he just wants to make life hard for us. And that's so untrue. 
But sometimes I wonder if God doesn't allow things in our life, issues to get us to settle down, to lay down, to rest, to take care of ourselves. Oftentimes when I visit people in the hospital or I'll talk to them on the phone or I'll send them a note because uh, they've either had surgery or, or I know they're going to be down for a while. It's almost like, you know, I go visit them or I talk to them. What do they say? They say things, well, well Pastor, man, I'm going to, you know, the doctor said six weeks. I'm going to do this thing in four. You know, it's, I'm supposed to be down 12 weeks, but oh my, I'm going to get back to work in six. And I go, why? Well, you know, I love what I do, but you know, I go, here, here, listen, listen. If, if, if I believe what I believe, God allows everything in our lives for his purpose. Doesn't necessarily mean he causes it. But nothing escapes his purview, and he wants to use everything in your life to get your attention and refocus on him. And I tell people, I says, listen, you, you can't move a lot, so when you're laying down, turn off the TV and just say, Lord, begin to speak to me. And allow him to use that rest, that quiet time to re-engage your heart with him. See, the whole focus here of, of the Psalm 23 and G John 10 is that we need a relationship with Christ. Because only when we do that really do we understand that he's the one that can set the pace for us. Because many of us, if we set our own pace, we will just go and go and go. I love what someone did as a paraphrase of Psalm 23. It says this, the Lord is my pace, pace setter. I shall not rush. He makes me stop and rest at intervals. He, pri he provides me with images of stillness to restore, restore my serenity. He leads me in the way of efficiency to calmness of mind. And, this guidance, and his guidance is peace. Even though I have a great many things to accomplish this day, I will not fret for his presence is here. His timeliness, his all importance will keep me in balance. He prepares refreshment and renewal in the midst of my activity and anointing my head with the oils of tranquility. My cup of joyous energy overflows. Surely harmony and effectiveness will, shall be the fruits of my hours, for I shall walk in the pace of my Lord and dwell in his heaven forever. Oh, I love that. This makes you want to take a deep breath. Ah, thank you, Lord. This is pretty important to me personally because it was just recently, and I've shared some of this at the town hall, but I really found myself on kind of this performance wheel. Um, this is really easy for me for a lot of different reasons, psychological that I won't, and spiritual that I won't get into, but I've always wanted to please people. I've always wanted to help people. And so in doing so, when people ask me to do things, I oftentimes say, yes, 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 yes. I found myself with our denomination doing about four major things that were beginning to really diminish what was happening around here and taking my eye off the creekside ball, and things were beginning to slip. And my life was continually getting much more busy, much more hectic with travel and, and leading different things. And, but you know what? I felt like, wow, I feel good. I get to help. I get to do. People are recognizing whatever. And I just got in this, on this fast-paced wheel. 
And in the midst of all of this hectic stuff going on, I, I took a day on a Monday morning, my day off, and I, and I did this two-hour period where I just rested and reflected with my journal. And one of the things that I realized that the pace at which I was going and doing the work of God was diminishing the work of God in me. And that's never a good place to be. That's where as a pastor you begin to leave body bags of people all around you. That's never good. And within this two-hour time of reflection and just journaling and hearing the voice of the Lord, he literally in that two-hour time said, I want you to stop doing these four things. And within a week's period, I contacted major people and said, I'm sorry, I can't do this. I'm sorry, I'm not going to do this. I'm sorry, I'm not going to start that. And it's just like, I felt like I was by a pasture again, quiet waters. Because I began to read the gauges of my heart and my soul and listen to make necessary judgments. Here's what I think. I'll bet there's probably at least one or two people in this room that you would say, oh, I got to do that. Where you just got to step back and go, yeah, yeah, that's me. I, I need to find some tranquility and some peaceful waters. And can I tell you something? That's what the good shepherd says. I want to speak to you and I want to talk to you, but, but you, but you got to listen. You got to get off this frenetic pace. You got to get off this wheel like the gerbils get on that they can't. It's hard to get off. And you just got to listen, and I'll speak to you. Second thing I want you to see here is that the shepherd provides replenishment and refreshment. It says that the shepherd leads to cool, quiet streams for replenishment and refreshment. That's what you get there. It's interesting, when sheep get thirsty, they get restless and they start to get antsy and they start to wander looking for water. But here's the problem. Because they're not smart, they will just begin to drink out of any polluted pothole that they come across and, and, or any water hole that could, be, that could be polluted or would have had parasites in it and germs and everything that would have affected their internal organs because they would pick up parasites very easily. And here's what's really interesting. If they would have wandered away from the flock haphazardly, which was their custom, if they could have gotten out of the purview of the shepherd, if they would go to this stream, or even if they were led to a stream, this is really interesting, they would come up to, if this brook was babbling, or if this creek had a very strong current, or if there was any rushing waters, they would go up to it, and even if they were thirsty, even if they were dying of thirst, guess what? They wouldn't go near it because they're so fearful. The noise level would actually scare them away. But here's what a good shepherd did. This is why he had to lead them to these quiet waters. He would literally go ahead of them. And he would dam it up and then go upstream from it so that they could drink from a little pool of water that was calm, peaceful, easy to access. It just shows the tenderness of God. He says, I don't want you to face anything you can't handle. I'm going to take care of this situation. Because see, it's a picture of people today who were looking for things to satisfy their thirsts of life. What are the major thirsts that we have? We, 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 we have a, just a, this major need for love, for peace. Most of them are healthy. We, have, you know, we have a need for money, but sometimes they get skewed, don't they? And it's at those points that as we're traveling along, we become to this place where we're willing to drink 
from the wrong places hoping to get satisfied. And what does it do? Oh, we pick up spiritual parasites. We get sick spiritually. And what happens? We become emotionally depleted, as I'll talk about next week. And it seldom replenishes and refreshes for more than a very short time and ultimately just makes us thirstier. Again, that's why we need a good shepherd. Jesus is our good shepherd. He made it clear throughout all of his teachings that there are, it's clear that there are thirsty souls of men and women. And the only way life can be satisfied, the only way their thirst capacity can be taken care of, the only way for spiritual life is, is to grow and to happen is that they come to the one who can quench their thirst. And that's the living Christ, the good shepherd, who will continually lead you and guide you. See, those of us who are self-employed, we have this, this tendency to never stop working. I mean, we bring it home. We seldom take time off. Those of you who maybe have an entrepreneurial mindset, you can fall prey to this if you don't limit your labor. Maybe you're working at a job while you're trying to do something else. And there's nothing wrong with that. I am a proponent of heavy, hard work. The key is not overwork. Because that's where we get into trouble relationally, spiritually. Physically, emotionally. Some of you are single parents. I don't know how you do it. You work and you manage a family at the same time by yourself. And you of all people, and I say this with great pastoral love, I hope you have some strong friends and family around you that you have, that you can build a perimeter, boundaries around yourself so you get yourself time. Our best requires good rest, whether it's giving to a church, whether it's serving in a ministry, whether it's going to work every day, whether it's raising our kids. Everything around us deserves our best, and if we don't have proper rest, it won't happen. Great story. A lady called a pastor one day. She's really upset, and she said, I called the, I called the other day on Monday, and I couldn't get through to you. Nobody was there. pastor said, well, honey, listen, my, Monday's my day off. And she goes, well, I just want to tell you, the devil never takes a day off. And the pastor said, yes, and if I didn't take a day off, I'd be just like the devil. (laughs) See, some people have that kind of a mindset. Exodus 20, verses 9 through 10 says this, you have six days in which to do your work, but the seventh is a day of rest dedicated to me, the Lord, the Yahweh, the I Am. God says that one day off every week, that's the rule. And that rule isn't for him as much as it's for you. And sometimes we think, well, God just, you know, he's, well, he took a day off. And he's God. But he was just simply trying to mentor us and to show us the importance of it. I mean, this is so important to God. He puts it right up there in the top 10 with do not, do not commit adultery, do not commit murder, don't steal. So hear this, if we're not taking that day of rest, if we're not Sabbathing, we're breaking the Ten Commandments. Paul said if you break one, you break them all. See, if you're not taking a day off, you're not doing what God's told you to do. Sabbath means day of rest. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus said this, that the Sabbath was made to benefit man, not simply to benefit God. 
Colossians says it doesn't matter what day you choose as long as you choose a day a week. Sunday is not a Sabbath for me. I work. I know some of you don't think so, but it is. It's, <laughs> this is a lot of work for me, believe me. This doesn't come natural. So what should you do on your day off on your Sabbath? What's the quiet waters that the Lord wants to lead you around? He wants you to rest your body. If you don't take time to rest your body, your body will probably make time for itself. I've come to the realization that I believe some of the health issues that I face today probably are due to a couple of things. Not honoring this for a number of years here when I first started. And some of the things that I did while not doing that. Do you ever feel guilty when you relax? <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's sad, isn't it? That if we just want to go home and just take a break, just sit in quietness, or if we just want to, you know, watch some kind of stupid thing on the boob tube. I mean, is there really anything wrong? I mean, as long as you're not doing that, you know, seven, eight hours a day. See, Jesus, I don't ever see him feeling guilty when he rested because he was always, remember we talked about the rhythm of it last week, engagement of people, engagement with the Father and rest. Jesus didn't feel guilty. He took time off. Here's the, are you busier than Jesus? Is what you're doing more important than what Jesus did? Now, hear me, please. I'm, I love work, and I think every, you know, probably might be some of you in here that need to work more. I don't know. You know, but this is important. Rest your body. Second thing, recharge your emotions. What things recharge you emotionally? We need quietness, but we need recreation. Something that turns you on that, you know, that, that isn't necessarily popular with everybody else, but we all need time. That's why, I, you know, I love golfing with guys at Creekside when they call and ask. It gets me out of the office because I'm not one to necessarily pursue that. Because I, I have a tendency to put my head down and go. But I have mo so much fun just laughing with guys at Creekside. Eh, golf is all right, too. But it's just being with them. And we live in a culture today, loved ones, where our focus, you know, the relationships have been replaced so much by social media. It's easier for me to text you than it is to talk to you. My wife says, don't, don't call me. Text me. I just want to hear your voice. Don't you want to hear mine? No, text me. I'm busy. Don't tell her I told that. Uh, Trina and I recently, we took a train, just a short trip up to Sacramento. And I was looking around, and you know what I saw? Everybody was on their phone. Everyone, as far as I could see. There was a family of four. All four of them were on their phone, and they weren't playing a game. And I'm not against phones. I, you know, I'm on it. But, but we've replaced communication and relationship. Oh, and then we went to a restaurant um, after we got up there. And guess what? 50% of the people there were on it. I go, oh, honey, it looks like they're having a little romantic dinner together. And then all of a sudden, both of them pull out their phones. Okay, check that. See, we're designed, loved ones, to seek trusting relationships relationships and too little of our contacts are in the natural intimate sense as we know it in the world today. And some of you suffer because of that. So you rest your body, you recharge your emotions, you refocus your spirit. 
when you come into church with a big problem, I hope that worship helps you bring things into perspective, like God's big, this problem isn't that big, that he can't take care of it. But if you do that, when you do that on your own, when you worship God and you listen to him on your own, that's when everything comes into perspective. That's what happened to me when I just sat there one day. I said, God, I got to get this figured out. I'm going to implode or blow up on somebody. And then he just starts, I mean, just literally, just, if I could show you my journal, it's like three pages of information. Do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. And sometimes you'll need to do that. Just get with the Lord every day, a few minutes, because that's what you're made for.